0: very good morning everybody welcome to Sportbox with karen cho and myself jeff cutmore let's get into the markets let's get into the headlines another difficult day for tech investors the nasdaq slides into correction territory as higher treasury yields weigh on u.s equities but bank of america's brian moynihan tells cnbc the prospects of higher rates is a good thing accommodation has to be taken out that's actually gr- great news why is it great news that means that the level of economic activities can sustain without fiscal stimulus or monetary stimulus, which is good news, that means the pandemic effects are largely behind us. Asian equities push broadly higher as the PBOC cuts a key lending rate for the first time in two years in a bid to support a slowing Chinese economy.
1: UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson faces a defection and calls to resign from his own party, while senior opposition figure Angela Rayner tells CNBC he's lost the moral authority to lead.
2: The Prime Minister has admitted, which I said was a very simple question that the Prime Minister could answer, did you go to a party or not? He did go, he should go from office now because he broke his rules and lied to the British public.
1: President Biden vows disaster for Russia if it invades Ukraine, as his Secretary of State tours Europe in a bid to de-escalate tensions, while the head of the EU's Foreign Service tells CNBC Europe should be prepared.
0: The level of tension is very high and I think that we cannot hide and we should not hide because we have to be worried about what is happening and we should not underestimate the potential developments in uh, on this, uh, the situation on the ground. start with the markets because it was such an interesting session yesterday and did you hear Brian Moynihan there talking about why higher rates are not a bad thing because it indicates that the economy is strong that omicron is in the rearview mirror and ultimately higher interest rates reflect the fact that we have a- an economy that is firing on all cylinders the question is are interest rates going up because the economy is now sound or are they going up because the fed is worried about inflation biting into livelihoods and concerned about the risks of a wage price spiral we will find out in the course of time won't we but at the moment the markets seem to be making their own judgment as to where they want to be positioned given the expectation around this repricing of money and it's the nasdaq again here that took it on the chin in the session yesterday having said that We weren't that far away from similar moves on all of these indices uh, around the 1% mark. But of course we need to just focus on the Nasdaq for a moment because the technicians were getting very excited about the idea that we're actually in correction territory now from those November highs. So a move in excess of 10% representing then correction territory. And I think it's the fourth correction uh, we have seen ultimately from recent all-time highs. The uh, Treasury market is being uh, ascribed with the blame for all of this, of course, as the uh, fixed income folk um, sell off uh, on the treasury curve to reflect the fact that they think interest rates are going to go higher at least in the next federal reserve meeting we saw that 10-year note spike through the one spot nine mark didn't we taking a lot of the curve with it we've just eased back from that yesterday my understanding was that the 20-year auction was reasonably well supported so there was a bit of money that flowed back into the uh, the, the treasury curve and perhaps that tells you that there's a good tussle going on here um, in the fixed income space between those that think that 1.8 or thereabouts is the terminal rate, the so-called terminal rate, where the Federal Reserve stops hiking for this cycle. And of course, there are those others who believe that we do push on through 2% to something like 2.25. Anyway, that's your Treasury market at the moment. Quick uh, revisit on those tech uh, stocks because even as we saw the Nasdaq generally weaker alongside the S&P and the Dow. Wasn't all a story of losses for the technology companies. Uh, Microsoft getting a little bit of feel-good factor around this bid it's making for Activision. It does seem that the market likes the idea that it pushes Microsoft into not only gaming in a more significant way but perhaps gives them access to a technology company that has the ability to build a metaverse platform very quickly. Have you seen all of those people who are now trying to buy property in the metaverse? Which metaverse is my question? There are so many it seems that are either now in the um, phase of construction or already constructed. Is it good money being thrown after bad. I don't know, you draw your own conclusions, I'm probably the wrong side of 50 to understand the metaverse anyhow. So that's a a quick snapshot on where we are on the technology stocks. Um, Banks was interesting wasn't it? We talked yesterday with an analyst in the first hour of the program who gave us a rather downbeat assessment of how bank stocks could do from here arguing that basically the best had been had on the repricing over the last two years and then we got some good news effectively from uh, bank of america and morgan stanley both of these companies actually managed to beat expectations on their quarterly earnings and the market decided to flatter them and support them on the basis of the better numbers they delivered. And in spite of what we heard from Goldman Sachs earlier in the week, we also saw some tight control on expenses out of these banks as well, which is something that the market actually liked. Karen.
1: It does beg the question, Jeff, as to whether wage pressures are inevitable or whether they can be managed through the cycle, whether there's some sort of execution risk here. Uh, Let's just uh, take a listen to the tone from Morgan Stanley, where shares did close in the green, as you mentioned, after the bank posted a beat on its fourth quarter earnings, although total revenue came in slightly below estimates. The lender reported a 9% rise in earnings, coming in at $3.7 billion, or just over $2 per share. So Morgan Stanley also said it had managed to keep a lid on expenses, which were flat across 2021, That, in contrast to its Wall Street rivals, which have reported a surge in wage inflation and other costs. Speaking on the earnings call, Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman outlined how the bank had managed to keep costs flat.
0: We're a different business model. Just take our wealth management business, which is, you know, 24 plus billion in revenue. Those advisors are paid on a grid. Uh, there is no inflation on it. It's based upon what they produce. Uh, most of our investment bank is simply paid based on bonus, and that's based on what they produce. We've invested a lot in technology, but we've also bought companies. You know, I said before, we didn't, we didn't just buy E-Trade and, and Solium and Eden Vance. We bought technology businesses within them. So buy versus build, we made that trade-off.
1: Interesting interpretation there as we talk about uh, pressures from inflation. Let's get to Bank of America where shares closed the session slightly higher after the bank beat on fourth quarter earnings estimates. Quarterly profit came in at $7 billion or $0.82 per share. Up 28%. That was helped by a rise in credit quality, allowing it to release some $850 in loan losses, uh, loan reserves. Uh, the lender also enjoyed a bump in revenue in its asset management and equities trading arms, although fixed income trading was lower. Uh, speaking to CNBC, Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan said more economic normalisation has helped a return to boost loans as well as profitability.
0: In the fourth quarter, specifically, $50 billion of loan growth, about $15 billion in markets, which can ebb and flow with securization and some of the work that goes on in that. And Jimmy DeMar and the team do a great job there. But $35 billion was in the core businesses in, in the first three weeks of January. That's grown from there. So we feel good about loan growth, largely due to the fact that we have this incredible franchise, which is cranked back up after the pandemic got more manageable.
1: Let's get some thoughts on the market. Uh, Joining us now is David Pearce who is Director of Strategic Initiatives at GPS Capital Markets. David, we've had another interesting week on markets. It feels as though we've lost some of that leadership uh, to the upside from banks that have been really stepping up to replace the trade around technology. But as we've seen a slight reversal there across the board, it has meant the market indices have also dropped. What do you make of the direction from here?
3: Well, you, you know, that, that's rough because it, it seems like there's 10 things going one way and 10 another. And um, right now, I think we really have to go back to where interest rates are going and everybody it, believes that interest rates have to go up due to the uh, the 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 economy right now and how hot the economy is. Interest rates going up are going to drive things a couple of different directions. Um, we, we've got a great underlying business economy. But when we look at Some of the stock prices a lot of things look to be overblown Um, yet if the you know we saw some uh, rate cuts in china and but where we expect to have rate increases in the united states i expect to see more money flowing into the u.s markets which should bode well over the longer term for the you know for the dow and the nasdaq so i i do expect to see some strength in the u.s markets that from the bank side i think that that's going to be a little bit rougher um, I think there 's going to be more pressure on them to compete for the money that 's out there uh, we 've seen a lot of financial institutions go out and issue bonds to try to raise money while the rates are cheap right now. but I think there 's going to be increased demand for the you know for, for the for markets for who they 're going to lend money to right now.
1: David, a couple of points there I think it 's telling that you can 't really pick the short term direction for markets that 's in contrast to just about every market participant and manager being able to call the market going higher for so long. So that is quite a departure from that type of sentiment. But also when it comes to the banks, I just wanted to, to test the waters on what the loan growth mortgage side demand side would look like, because that is where the market is saying there'll be a pickup as we see an interest rate recovery story taking place. But, you know, the home builders fell stateside yesterday. And I think here there were some concerns in the market, too, that higher rates could actually crimp off some of the demand. What's the tipping point of this time is a little bit different to Last time, what's the tipping point on rates hitting consumers and businesses?
3: Well, it, it's really a couple of factors. It's not just the rates going up. We have seen a tremendous increase in the price of homes, both the new home construction as well as existing homes. So, I, I mean, where I'm at, we've seen home prices increase about 30% in the last year. So, if you have a 30% increase in the price of homes and then you have interest rate increases, it's pricing a lot more people out of the market. Granted, there still is lots of demand, but I expect to see if as we see increased interest rates, we're going to have to get some reduction in price uh, on the real estate side. There's just there's just so much capacity that people have to be able to pay higher interest rates and pay higher prices for their, their homes.
0: David, there's a mismatch, though, isn't there, here between um, the analysts taking their red pens to the home builders and the data that we're getting from the market itself. Those December numbers yesterday on starts and permits were very strong, very strong. Uh, And yet uh, it was a day where, as Karen pointed out, the home builders fell because the analysts decided that they um, have already reached their stock prices at this stage. So... This represents opportunity, because the market has a different view to the data, which comes right in the end.
3: Well, well, I think that if you look at the the real estate market over history, we have seen when there is tremendous demand, the home builders tend to go all in because they're they're making lots of money, and then when we see a crash, the crash is tremendous. So I. I think that right now the the lag time between home starts and finishing homes, you know, you're you're talking a year, year and a half there and there's a lot of people still as they're investing and getting their property developed, it could be two, three, four years before they actually have a completed product to sell. And if you look down the road two or three years and have significantly higher interest rates, I think that it's gonna be really difficult to fulfill the demand for, for the homes. I, I mean, I think the home builders are going to have a hard time selling the product that they've got several years down the road. So when we see a, a reset in the value of the real estate stocks, I see that as as realistically looking forward.
0: And just on the tech stocks, um, do you think the selling continues from here on in? I mean, we've, we've got this uh, marker, we're in... Um, correction territory again on the nasdaq Um, but it's been pretty difficult to write this market off and there's been a lot of buying on dips are we done here on that kind of buying what is your prognosis of what happens for technology through the rest of the year
3: well i just go out and try to buy something Um, if if you go to the stores and you go try to buy things right now there is so much more demand than there is supply. So I think that in the marketplace, whether it's software, hardware, there's still a tremendous amount of demand. And if you look at the unemployment rates, the economy is is hard right now for companies to find employees. And I, I mean, ourselves included. I mean, we are trying desperately to find more employees because we have got a lot of work. We've got a lot of demand and we've got a lot of things we want to accomplish, but it's hard to find employees right now. So I'm, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the market and we've got interest rates going up, but right now with all the economic signs look really good. Uh, do I think that stocks were probably a little overblown? Yeah, but that doesn't mean I, that there's not some more value to come back.
1: Can I pick up on that point around wages because we heard from Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman yesterday pointing out that their structure is effectively a grid and people get paid based on bonuses more than wages, which protects them from the shock of any wage pressure coming through the system. What does that mean more broadly? Because it's not the only company where you're seeing the ability to sort of manage the storm when it comes to inflation pressures. We already know we're in a stock picker's market. Do you think we're going to see more rewards for these companies that are immune to the inflation pressures versus others that are being hit hard?
3: Well, well I think that it's you, you've got to really think about what that means to be immune to the inflation pressures. If you are looking at your existing employee base, Yes, if they are highly incentivized, it is probably a lot easier to keep the percentages and the ratios in line. If you're going out and trying to attract new talent, that's a whole different story because you're going to have to you know, pay bonuses or you know, fees to get those people. And there's going to be a lot more upfront costs than there used to be just to attract the new employees. So if you're in a growing business, I think that the cost structure is different than if you're just... In an existing business, and you're maintaining. Now, if you go and look at the market that they're in, and you're looking at you know mergers and acquisitions, and you're looking at uh, you know you know just the private equity or public equity type markets, that is easier to grow that business without tremendously increasing your your footprint as far as number of people. But if you're growing, especially on a global basis, uh, you know we've got offices all over the world, and we talk to people in companies, you know, whether it's Europe or Asia, and everyone is saying the same thing. They are struggling to find employees right now. Their markets are really good. And this is all driving wages up. You, you can't have increased inflation without having increased costs. The, it, you might be able to do that for the next year uh, or six months. But at there's gonna come a point in time where somebody's gonna take your employees because they're willing to pay them more because they they because the market has changed.
0: David, we've got to say goodbye to you, but thanks for the analysis this morning. David Pierce, Director of Strategic Initiatives at GPS Capital Markets. Something to flag up for you on Friday. We have a panel discussion on the global economic outlook as part of the Davos agenda. Joining CNBC, the ECB President Christine Lagarde, Bank of Japan Governor Harahiko Kuroda, IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva, the Brazilian Economy Minister, uh, Paulo Guedes, uh, Indonesia's uh, Finance Minister, Sri Mulyani Indrawati. China's central bank is stepping up its monetary policy easing, cutting its benchmark lending rates again today in an effort to stem an economic slowdown. This comes after the PBOC's surprise cut in its medium-term lending facility earlier this week. The Asian market's... Enjoyed a little bit of uh, relief buying on the back of that, particularly, as you can see, Hong Kong up over 2.5% here. The Shanghai Composite effectively flat, the uh, the Nikkei uh, clawing back a a little bit of the uh, losses that we saw in yesterday's trading session, and both the Kospi and the ASX are positive. Let's take the break. Coming up, UK lawmakers trade barbs as Boris Johnson faces a defection from his own Conservative Party. We'll have detail on that when we come back. And more on the Nasdaq slide into correction territory on the Squawk Box podcast.
1: The UK attempting to accelerate through the pandemic as it announced that compulsory isolation for people with coronavirus will be scrapped by the spring. The move comes amid a shift in strategy aimed towards treating COVID like the flu. Guidance to work from home has been lifted and other Plan B measures like compulsory face masks and COVID passes will be dropped next Thursday. Health Secretary Sajid Javid described the move as a major milestone, saying the data shows Omicron is in retreat. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson survived a fresh call to quit from one of his senior party members and watched one of his own MPs defect to the opposition Labour Party just minutes before Prime Minister's questions. Johnson has been subject to severe criticism since it emerged parties were held at Downing Street while lockdown restrictions were at their peak and stands accused of lying about his own involvement. In Parliament, the Prime Minister rallied against repeated calls for him to step down, calling on lawmakers to wait for the results of an inquiry being carried out by Civil servant Sue Gray, which is due next week. Meantime, Deputy Leader of the Opposition Angela Rayner told CNBC shortly afterwards that the Prime Minister is running out of excuses. Let's take a listen.
2: It's interesting that Boris Johnson is trying to hide behind a civil servant. You know, we don't need a report to tell us whether Boris Johnson was at the party or not because he's already admitted he was at the party. Then he says he didn't think it was a party. And then he says, I'm not sure somebody didn't tell me that it was against the rules, you know, and these were his rules. So he's starting to look really silly now. And the British public, are very angry about it because there's one thing breaking the rules that you set but there's quite another when you're trying to lie your way out of it and deceive people and make them feel like they're somehow silly for following the rules and let's not forget that Her Majesty the Queen was on her own sat on her own that very iconic picture of her you know, mourning the loss of her husband and many people in the UK were suffering at the time and couldn't see their loved ones so people think that the Prime Minister is trying to take them as fools and it's not going down well at all across all parts of the united kingdom there has been some analysis of the process the Grey process if you will do you think we can trust the findings when they come out Well, Sue Gray is a very distinguished civil servant and she's well known for that. So I have absolute full respect for her and her findings. But as I've said, you know, we now know that the Prime Minister started off saying I've never been at a party. There was no party when the Sue Gray inquiry was called for by myself. And since then, the Prime Minister has admitted, which I said was a very simple question that the Prime Minister could answer. Did you go to a party or not? He did go he should go from office now because he broke his rules and lied to the British public. Do you think, and I'm going to ask this about Westminster generally, today what you're hearing in the corridors of power, that there is a chance that there will be enough letters gathered to trigger the 1922 committee? I think it's a real possibility now, yes. I think, you know, you've seen it from the Conservative MPs. They've gone back to their constituencies and even in the hardcore, real blue Tory areas, they're finding out that people are very angry about this and they're angry about not only the Prime Minister breaking the rules but the way in which she's tried to get out of it and people see that as a very un-British thing to do. You know, we follow the rules, we follow, you know, the guidance that that was put in place to protect us all. So I think The Conservative MPs are really starting to feel the heat now from their constituents, and quite rightly so.
1: A huge amount of news flow coming from Downing Street, as you can hear, and it's very hard at this point, I think, for many people to separate out what's happening with the politics around Boris Johnson and his career and what's happening now with COVID rules and uh, clearly there's been a huge fight over what happened in Downing Street and the breaching of rules and now we are hearing that a lot of the rules will be scrapped and I think it's just extraordinary. Many of us wondering what that means is it's a very politically motivated decision now to to roll back on some of the rules and regulations given what we're still over 100,000 new cases over here in the UK. It does seem quite extraordinary doesn't it Jeff? that by spring we're meant to just pretend that coronavirus never really existed.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's um, about pretending whether coronavirus never existed, Karen, but um, just specifically on uh, PMQs, like a lot of people, I tuned in from midday yesterday just to hear the fireworks. And um, there were plenty of fireworks, but to be honest, I felt the defection of the Berry MP. Actually, distracted a little bit from the fire that was directed at the Prime Minister. And in a sense, he kind of got away with it. David Davis actually landed the best punch, I think, uh, with his uh, b- paraphrased quote of that directed at Neville Chamberlain. And I think previously used by Cromwell. So there, there was um, some damage, I think, done. But we'll just have to see how the Teflon Prime Minister um, comes out of the official inquiry. The maths is just not there. That's, that's the problem for the opposition at this stage that I think only 12 Tory MPs have handed in letters to the 1922 committee to try and trigger a leadership battle. They need 54 And when it comes to defections, I know some of the papers are talking about another five MPs are considering their position. And I think there's a focus on those who won red wall uh, constituencies, as they're called, uh, back in the 2019 election. But at this point, there just aren't enough numbers to trigger that leadership battle. So it ultimately comes down to whether the prime minister, I think, does what many think is the right thing and steps aside if that inquiry suggests that he very clearly broke the rules at this stage but as he keeps saying and I think Angela Rayner repeated there we have to wait for the outcome of this civil servants investigation it's kind of where it's left and as for the rest of these policy announcements that are just being wheeled out in this febrile environment it's hard not to think that there is uh, an operation I think they called it red meat which is supposed to be a distraction from the investigation into what Boris Johnson did or didn't do. The idea that you keep throwing out new policy ideas or policies as chaff to distract the media. We'll have to see what comes up next, won't we? Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.